You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. Well, I've certainly enjoyed uh, learning more about Joshua, learning more about the trek of Israel into the promised land. And there's no question that one thing that keeps sticking in my mind is that Joshua was indeed a bold leader. But what made him so unusual is that he was also humbly committed to walking in the will of God. He found a way to be strong, but at the same time submissive and surrendered. And that's really the trick, isn't it? How, how do you step out into a bold new world and keep your spiritual balance? How do you take a risk without somehow believing it's our intellect or our power and understand it's God's power that wins the day. Israel had just gained the promised land. They're where they dreamed of being. They're where God wanted them to be. But Joshua knew that because of that victory, they were in a spiritual danger zone. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to marvel at Joshua's ability to not allow pride to come in and destroy the day. We're going to marvel at how he can lead with courage, but yet humility, and we're going to learn from that. Because as we step out into our new world at Ridgewood, it will take courage. It will take boldness. We will have to take risks, but at the same time, we need to learn the art of being big and bold, but humble and surrendered to the will of God. So that's where we're headed this morning, and then we're going to come forward together. We're going to boldly move forward at the end of our time. But let's get into the Word now and turn to the book of Joshua, and we're going to begin in chapter 22, verse 1. And you can grab a Bible that's in that seat back in front of you on page number 196, or you can use the Ridgewood app and just go right to media and the study guide into today's date. So, Joshua 22, beginning on 196. This is the last of our bold series. Next week, I'm really excited because for Advent, we're going to do something called Exploring Jesus. And it's a good transition because, as we've said before, Joshua is a type of Christ or a forecast of Christ because he, he took his people and brought them into the promised land. Just like Jesus takes us from death into life, into eternity. And so our first topic next week will be the eternal existence of Jesus. And if you have any friends that just don't know about Jesus or you want to learn more, bring them along. So, here in Joshua, we've seen them settle in the promised land. Put your finger on 22 for a minute and just look at the first, last two verses of 21. Because it sets up our passage. So here's 43, chapter 21. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers. And they took possession of it. And they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that God had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Israel had 
an incredible victory. But now Joshua discerned that they were in a spiritual danger zone. And so in the middle chapters of the book that we didn't go through chapter and verse, what has happened is Joshua has distributed land among the tribes of Israel in the promised land. And the way it shook out is this. If you take a look at this map, here's what we're looking at. This is the Jordan River right here. This is where they, they, they crossed into this area. But Joshua gave on the eastern side of the Jordan, this is the half-tribe of Manasseh that you're going to read about. This is Gad, and this is the tribe of Reuben. And what's been happening is this group, the Easterners, have been fighting against the Canaanites to protect what they have here. And Joshua's going to bring them together and commend them, but a misunderstanding almost leads to a civil war. So that's where we're going to begin now in 22 verse 1. Now you have the context. And let's start at 1. At the time Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days, down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers, as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be careful, be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him with all your heart and soul. You're looking for a life verse? Not bad. Verse 6. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. So the Easterners are now headed home after this meeting. The first thing we notice here is that these men had obeyed God to every command, but sometimes a bold victory heightens the risk of spiritual failure. And Joshua was very, very wise. These men had been away from their wives and family for seven years, fighting off the Canaanites. So he's sending them home. He said, you can, you can take all the spoils of war, but you have to share it with your brothers in the West because they've been protecting the homeland. And so here's, here were his concerns. Number one, that they would forget who actually won the battle. It wasn't their fierce commitment and their hard work. It was God who won the battle. And Israel continually forgot about that as they won battles against other countries. And then he was concerned that they had been away for so long that they may have drifted away from the laws of Israel. They were still living side by side with the Canaanites. They'd been fighting against the Canaanites. So Joshua was worried that they may have adopted their practices of worship, which were pagan practices of worship. So the command was clear here in verse 5. I want you to go love the Lord your God. I want you to walk in His ways. I want you to keep His commandments. I want you to cling to Him and serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Because He knew that when you have victory, your guard is down. Because we tend to relax. We tend to 
revel in that. We've, we've gone far enough. We did it. We're done now. Well, if you have that mindset, you are going to be done now. <laughs> because that's when Satan strikes. And Jesus is a good example. He had this incredible moment during his earthly ministry. And then Satan came along. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's the high point of his ministry. He's being introduced. And without a break, Matthew transitions into, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's being introduced. He's being tempted. Jesus had a major victory. He was at a high point. And, and sure, all of that was orchestrated by God. But it goes to show that Satan also knows when to strike. And it's easy to get complacent after a spiritual victory. Because here's what Satan will do. Satan uses little things to try and trip up a bold believer. And a lot of times it comes in the form of of relationships. But they're little things. They're not always the big things. And in this case, the soldiers are on their way over to the east side of the Jordan. And they're, they're going along, and they, they're still on the west side, and they stop, and they look at the Jordan, and they say to themselves, wow, remember what God did here? Remember how we walked on dry land? That was amazing. Let's build an altar so that everyone who comes here will remember. And so they did. And their hearts were pure. But the Westerners misunderstood and it nearly caused a war. I want you to look at verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Vanessa built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. 11. And the people of Israel heard it and said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, have built the altar at their frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Wow. They, they had just arrived in the promised land, and now they're gathered to make war. Because here, here was the problem. The people over here on the west side, they, they knew where the proper tabernacle was. This is where you made proper sacrifices and worship God, in Shiloh. And they'd heard these rumors that these these rebels over here, the Easterners, had built another altar to worship and make sacrifices, and that would have violated the whole Jewish worship system, and it would have been apostasy. But that's not exactly what was happening at all. This, this was not another place to worship. This was a commemoration. So, they're plotting war over here, but they did one wise thing. They said, we, we need to send some people over there. So, they sent a delegation over to the east side, and they had this chat. And the Easterners were very calm, and they explained what had happened. And the Westerners said, wow, 
praise God. And they brought back word, and everybody over here in the West was happy because there was a place to praise God, but that nobody had violated any kind of a rule. But see how quickly we went from victory to almost a civil war because Satan is lurking. And Satan uses the small things. And many times we are vulnerable after a victory. And as we see God working right now at Ridgewood, we can see excitement. We can see him doing things. We can see practically even. We can see construction happening. God is working. But we need to be careful. And so before I talk about Illuminate, I want to just give you some important principles that you can take with you not only here at church, but in your daily life to help you be bold, humbled, and surrender. And the first thing that I want to talk about is this idea of being zealous for the faith. It's commendable to be zealous for the faith. Both of these sides were zealous for the faith. The, the people on the east, out of a pure heart, were excited what God had done. The people on the west, they were guarding what they knew to be the truth. Each side was zealous for the faith, and we need to be zealous for the faith. Our faith is under attack. Uh, the, the essentials that were once no-brainers like the sufficiency of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, the lordship of Christ, the atonement, the exclusivity of Christ and salvation, it's all under attack. And so if we don't fight for it, who will? And the way you do that is you read the Word, you teach your kids the Word, and you build a family around the Word of God and build a Christian worldview. And so it's good to be zealous for the faith. Secondly, here's what we learn. It's wrong to judge based on circumstantial evidence. So while you're guarding the faith, be careful not to judge others, especially when you really don't know what's happening. Too often, we go with the first thing we hear. Oh, really? I didn't know that about that person. Wow. I better tell my friend. And that's going to get some social media. And then pretty soon we're just making assumptions. No one's ever gone back to the person to ask them if it's true or not. And I love this verse in Proverbs because it's taught me a lot about wisely listening to people's complaints about other people. Because the first thing, you, know, you get, a, you say a husband or a wife comes in. Well, my husband is this or my wife is this. And you're, you're kind of tempted to go like, wow, that's terrible. How'd you... No, you got to go talk to the other person to get the real story. The one who states his case first seems right. Until the other comes and examines him. This is just really good wisdom. Don't believe the first thing you hear. The Easterners thought they knew everything. I mean, the Westerners thought they knew everything about the Easterners. They didn't know their heart. They didn't know why until they went and they talked to them. So, yes, defend the faith, but be wise. And then the other practical thing that comes out of this is hard conversations clear the air. They, they just went and had a hard conversation. And I, I don't like hard conversations, but I'm learning to have them because it's important to keep the air clear. And it's important to follow Matthew 18. Jesus said that we're to go back to the person that we have a problem with. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
Now, there are times when you can't. I understand that. There are times when the communication lines are closed. There are times when you cannot do that, but this is your first option if you can. But the problem is, you have to have a hard conversation. And it's much easier just to tell your Bible study or your prayer group or your friends. And so if we're going to stay unified, if we're going to go forward together, we need to be able to be frank with each other. We need to be able to trust each other. We need to be able to think the best of each other. Proverbs 15 tells us that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so we're learning all of these incredible truths about being bold and being humbled and being surrendered, being excited about Jesus, but not judging others because we don't think they're good enough or they're doing stuff that we're not quite sure about, and being willing to have frank conversation. So this is how Israel avoided a civil war. Think what that would have done to the promise. And so we need to learn from that. And here's why it's important for us. It's important for us because a big, bold, humble, and surrendered church can illuminate our city for Christ. And let me just tell you that Satan hates that idea. He hates this. And, and I, it, I theologically do not believe that Satan can read our minds. But he can watch our actions. And if he sees us girding up for battle, if he sees us coming together, if he sees that we have plans to move forward, he will strike. And so we need to be prepared, we need to be bold, we need to have courage, and we need to listen to God. Because the Illuminate Initiative is more than just a fundraising mechanism for this building. It's more than just restoring our facilities. It's a way to help us hone our vision. It's a way to help us grow our budget. It's a way to help us to be a bold, powerful, submissive, and a redemptive church. We want to be a redemptive place. We want to be a place where hurting people can come here and be, be met with the love of Jesus Christ, where people who aren't sure about their faith can learn, where people connect with the Savior that will save them from that wretched stain of sin. We want to be a redemptive church. And so we're moving in that direction. And if you look at Ridgewood's future, some of the main ideas are, as we make Jesus known through community impact, we want to multiply. We want more churches. We want to reach families. We want to raise up new leaders. We want to connect intergenerationally. We want to enlarge our global missions presence to become a vital and long-lasting presence in our community. And this is the big thing. We want to make more lanterns because they represent people who know Jesus Christ. And all of these areas are necessary and they're biblical. If our church is to remain a church that is about the business of doing the mission that God has called us to. And here's how we can do that. Starting with prayer. I want to ask you to pray for our church every day. If you go to a church planning seminar, and I've been to too many of them, because it's basically recycled information, the one thing that is true for each seminar I've gone to is you start with prayer. And as we launch out into our future, we need to continue to pray. Secondly, we need to guard our unity just like the Easterners and the Westerners did. They guarded it by having a frank conversation because Satan will attack us 
He will and is. And many times it comes through relationships. And I often pray, Lord, don't let me be the, the, the subject of disunity because I know that I don't always have a good heart. And then we need to have the kind of zeal that the Westerners and Easterns both had. We need to carry that inside of us. We, we need to be hungry. It, it's not good enough just to do church. If you want to come and just do church, this is not the place for you. Because we are a team, and we're going to go do battle, and we want to win people to Jesus. And it is a war. And we want to have a biblical worldview. We want to be missional, equipping. We want to be loving. We want to be doctrinally sound. That's really, really important because all of our mission, all of our ideology, all of our worldview come out of our doctrine, out of our theology. So that's still vitally important. The Bible will always be central to that. So the initiatives within this Illuminate campaign will help us reach our goals. And, and again, some of the goals that we're after here is creating an attractive and functional exterior that will provide a good first impression, a lighted and safe parking lot. I'm proud to announce light poles are supposed to arrive around Thanksgiving, but it's construction, so I'm proud to announce that they may arrive around Thanksgiving, but they're coming, and it's going to be great. The same goes for the interior. It needs to be clean. It needs to be safe because that's what young families are looking for. And, 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 and we may be past the young family stage. We may not be looking at the same things. I'll guarantee you that the people dropping off their kids are looking for that. It needs to be able to accommodate a preschool because we think we can, we, we can explore that and develop that and it may be a way for us to do long-lasting connection to our community. It needs to help seniors and persons with disabilities navigate with better bathrooms a larger elevator. It needs a larger lobby where we can do dinners and connect better. Illuminate is also meant to grow our budget. We want to do more ministry and not be constrained. We want to grow our global missions budget. That, that's part of the plan. We, we, we want to plant churches. We want to develop leaders. And all of this can be wrapped up in this sentence. We want more lanterns. And amazingly enough, in a church our size, since last January, we've had 99 people come to know Christ right here in our church. 99. That's worth celebrating. But I ask you, why not 990? And I know what you're thinking. Well, he's crazy. We don't even have that many people that go to church here. I know. That's why you multiply. That's why you plant. That's why you move out boldly and with courage, because we can do 990, but it takes faith. And this has to be the main thing. Connecting people with Jesus has to be the main thing. It isn't about being comfortable. It's not about having the best building. It's about saving people. It's about redeeming them. And it's our job to pick up where our forerunners who started the church back in the 1800s left off, because they had the same vision for the community that we do. So God led Israel into the promised land, and through the bold leadership of Joshua, we're learning how to be bold ourselves. In this series, we've learned how to boldly follow God, just like Israel did when they came to the edge of the promised land, and they knew that it was theirs, but the Canaanites were there, and they were big, strong, and scary. 
We've learned to boldly trust God, even when it doesn't make logical sense, because there was the Jordan River. It was a half mile wide. It was over its bank, and they had to get two to three million people across that thing. But they trusted, and God made it dry land. We've learned to boldly put God's will first, like Joshua did when he, as a military man, and God gave him the instructions to take down Jericho, and it wasn't about weaponry or strategy. It was about singing, shouting, and playing the trumpet. And I played the trumpet in band. That doesn't sound very exhilarating. But what did Joshua do? He put God's will first. And today, we've learned to be a church that is big and bold, but humble and submissive. And like the men of Israel that talk through that issue, we can stay unified and be a power for the kingdom. But to do all of this, we need to come together and make it happen financially. So now is the time to come together and be bold. And so many of you have already pledged to illuminate. And I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you for stepping out and making that decision. But may I humbly ask you to pray about pledging a bit more. Some of you are on the sidelines and you haven't gotten in the game yet. May I ask you to pledge because our community needs you. Our church needs you. People that don't know Jesus need you. Wendy and I made a pledge last year and we had the same number in our mind and we wrote it down and we both looked at each other like, we're nuts, we're crazy, we're way outside of our comfort zone. But in the first service, we looked at each other with another number in mind that was more, we wrote it down and we still think we're crazy. But we also trust that God will help us fulfill that pledge. So now is the time for us to come together and do that. So I would ask you, to take a couple of minutes now to confer with your spouse or friend or parent, people that you came with or pray silently. And then I would ask you to write down your number. And I want to just explain how this works. I found out that when you wear a suit coat or whatever you call this thing, that there are pockets. It's kind of a new revelation for me. So if you look at this pledge card right here, you'll see that this top line is, I am new to illuminate. I would like to make a 12-month commitment. So that's actually about 13 months because it includes two Decembers. And remember when you're filling that number out that this includes all of your tithe, all the money for the building. It's all one fund. So it's all of your giving to the church. If you've already committed to Illuminate, my, write your current commitment right here. My two-year commitment is here you either check confirm my commitment or increase my two-year commitment and you put the new number right there. It's as simple as that. And then give us your information. That's how we can come together. And I will assure you that I will not know how much anyone gives. It's, it's confidential. The only people that will know are the ones that process the pledge. We want 100% participation. And so in a moment, we're going to come forward boldly as a church family. And we're going to pledge and put our cards in the box. So whether this is the first time for you or if it's a confirmation that you want to finish strong, I want you to take this time now and confer with who you came with or pray, write a number down, and then Wendy and I will come first and we'll show you what to do next. 
Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.